presents Spooky South Ghosts with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Back in our regular time slot. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a couple of weeks here of big returns. Last week it was our big return to the airwaves and this week it's our big return to our usual time slot and Next week might be our big return to hiatus. We don't know, because I have to talk to uh, Pete Perilli and find out what the deal is with BC football next week. But uh, we could be on. We could be on the air. So, uh, yeah, I am Tim Weisberg. With me is the silent assassin, Matt Costa. And back in the studio with us, another another big return, science advisor Matt Moniz returns. How are you tonight, Matt? I am here. Yeah, last week you were, uh, you were with Bud Hopkins down in New York City. New York, New York. And how'd that go? Was uh, was it a pretty good presentation? Uh? Yeah, Bud did put a uh, excellent presentation on, it, as well as Leslie Kane. Uh, Leslie has some uh, big news that she's going to be putting out possibly on uh, Monday. Stay tuned to the National Press Club on Monday for that information. But on another positive note, she won her lawsuit against NASA. Ah, well, why don't you fill everybody in about that lawsuit, if they're unfamiliar? All right. Uh, Leslie Kane, along with uh, several other individuals, filed suit against NASA to have them produce the paperwork they had on the Kecksburg crash. Uh, People familiar with the Kecksburg crash, it was Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, circa 1964. Uh, We had Stan Gordon on, actually, uh, last year. Yes. that is probably right around the, this time, actually. Yeah, yeah. that uh, he spoke about this particular incident and uh, this lawsuit. And uh, Leslie, along with Stan and several other individuals, finally won their case. And NASA has 45 days now to start producing some of these documents. Well, uh, we'll have to have Leslie and, and Stan on real soon so we can talk about that. Well, well, I was made privy to the information last week, but uh, it's it's going to turn quite a few heads. We will be talking to uh, Dustin Parry of Ghost Hunters, uh, the Atlantic Paranormal Society. Uh, you know him, you love him, you watch him every week on Ghost Hunters. Well, almost every week. Um, he's, got, he's got a little one now, so he hasn't been on every week. But uh, he was on the controversial Halloween episode, and we'll get his take on that, uh, as well as some of the other cases that he's been on. And one of the things I want to get into with, with Dustin, uh, and, and we will in, a, in just a little bit, but uh, a lot of people don't realize exactly um, he's, he's a very religious person. Yes. Deeply religious person. And I, I want to talk to him a bit about how that affects him as an investigator. So uh, maybe we'll take that kind of approach here tonight. We'll talk about, you know, how can you, and we, we've talked about it with, with people like Keith Johnson before, but how can you be uh, so rooted in your faith but yet depend so much on science to prove the existence of what, you know, in your heart you believe to be true. So we'll talk about that more. And, of course, we'll welcome your calls as well. Uh, on that and anything else to do with the paranormal. And also, uh, a little bit later on in the show, we will talk to Jason Mayo, who has put out a comic book called Tales of Rocky Point Park. And now, what does Rocky Point Park have to do with Spooky South Coast and the paranormal? Well, the fact that we love Rocky Point Park, and we'll just use this platform to talk about it anyway, but uh, this comic actually deals with the House of Horrors, 
the uh, the haunted house that gave us all nightmares when we were younger. Uh, and so that is what the theme of the comic book is about. So we'll talk to Jason about that and about some Rocky Point memories and some of the, the hauntings that were reported there after it closed and uh, even some of the hauntings that were going on while it was still open. I'm sure Matt Moniz was a, a frequent haunter of Rocky Point Park back in his day. I love that park. It was a great theme park. It was great, and it was nice that it was right on the the water like that. Like, it just added to it. It was like you know those seaside California amusement parks. You know, we didn't have a lot of them on the East Coast, but you know that was definitely one of them. So we will talk about that and more. And uh, Matt Costa, what what were oh, you I, up to today? What was I up to? Yeah, not too much. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, this is the uh, the annual post beer fest show. Ooh. You know how you can tell because I'm sitting down. <laughs> There's like four oh. times a year when I sit down. I don't down. think anybody can tell you're sitting down. Well, I'm talking to you. Oh. Um, just They just happen to be listening. Stop listening to our conversation. Gosh. People. No, but, uh, yeah, and then, you know, I did get some very interesting emails, by the way. We talked last week. I don't, I don't know, um, Matt Moniz, if you had a chance to catch the show, but we had a new listener to the show call in. and Actually, yes, I did. You did, yeah. and you heard her talking about the three men and a baby prop. and Yes. And I, I got a... You mean the Ted Danson picture? Yes. And I got a number of uh, emails going uh, in both directions. Uh, some people saying that they'd watched it repeatedly and that can't be the case. And other people saying that they've watched it repeatedly and it's definitely Ted Danson. So, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, controversy around that. And maybe we just uh, sold a few more copies of Three Men and a Baby on DVD, <laughs> which will make Steve Gutenberg's day. He's, if he's still around. He is. Uh, actually, he was on an episode of, like, Law and Order, Criminal Intent, or something. Really? Yeah, this week, like a new episode. Was like a key grip or something? Or no, no, he was in. Oh. Uh, he was in the cast. He was uh, excellent. Yeah, like a special guest star. Uh, that's that's huge. I'm landing Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> we should try to get him for this show. He can tell us all about that time he found the aliens, and the swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. But if you have any questions or any stories you'd like to share with us, maybe you've had a paranormal experience and you want to let us know about it. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Of course, you can always get in touch with us all week long through our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, or via MySpace at MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast. And if you uh, if you ever do have anything going on, uh, an investigation you'd like to have done, or uh, maybe you think that you, you know a haunted location or you live in a haunted ro- location, we're actually going to be doing a show real soon in the coming couple of weeks here talking about a couple of local haunting cases. So uh, if you have one that you'd like to report to us, you can always get a hold of us, Spooky Crew, at SpookySouthCoast.com. And who knows, either Matt Moniz will go out and investigate it or we'll, we'll refer it to uh, to some other groups in the area that we work with and that we trust. And uh, and if you're interested and your case warrants it, we'll talk about it here on the show. You, uh, you got anything planned? I know I know we're, we're planning on one in Wareham. Uh at a supposedly haunted location there. Um, but do you have anything else planned, any other places you're trying to check out, at least locally? Um, the one I have been working on up in the Kushnet with uh, Chris Balzano and Tom Diagostino. Uh, a couple in Rhode Island, one in particular, the Stagecoach Tavern, which is actually the um, place where they started what's known as the Door Rebellion, if anybody is into history, uh, revolution, post-Revolutionary War history. The Door Rebellion is what we now have responsible for our two-party political system. They decided, uh, Door decided he was going to hold his own election and form his own um, 
party, got himself elected through his own election and own party, but and then uh, that was in turn put down by the government in, in a, what was called the Door Rebellion. And this particular tavern is where the headquarters were, and that's where they came in. And, you know, some people were shot, other people were hung afterwards and stuff like that. But it is the, why we have the two-party system we have now. So definite uh, potential for activity there. Uh, there's been tons of activity recorded and, for years there. And, and we talked about uh, we talked about it a bit last week, but you also had a chance to check out the uh, the Sprague Mansion. Yes. How'd that work out? Was there a lot of activity it's that a, night, or no? Because uh, unfortunately, I got there a little bit later than uh, I would like to have. But they were kind enough to keep the place open for me to you know walk around with the Johnsons and you know get some quick photographs and. They have extended an invitation to us to do a l investigation there as well as a live remote if we if we want to. So the door is open to us. All right. Well, we have the door open to us there, and the door rebellion at the at the other location. Sounds like uh, Rhode Island is getting infected by spooky South Coast. Well, it's from me hanging out with uh, a couple of the people down there. Well, we infected it pretty good this morning, this afternoon too. Yeah, we did a pretty good job of making it's our mark there. And can I just say one thing to that security guard in the mall? Hey, who's disturbing <laughs> the peace now? Who's the boss now? Yeah, who's the now? Who's now? Who's uh, acting disorderly? We're on the radio. <laughs> you guys are all wound up over a fifteen-year-old security guard. You can't stop us. <laughs> you and your uni bro. All right, why don't we take a break? When we come back on the other side, we will have Dustin Parry of Ghost Hunters and uh, the Atlantic Paranormal Society, and we'll take your calls as well. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. 508-291-0500. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. It blew books off shelves from 20 feet away and scared the socks off some poor librarian. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. This looks extraordinarily bad. <laughs> hey, Matt. Hey, what? Bustin' makes me feel good. <laughs> oh, Ray Parker Jr., you'll never live down that line. Oh, poor guy. So, why don't we uh, go right to the phones, and we will talk to Dustin Parry of Ghost Hunters. You know him, you watch him every week, and uh, you've seen him involved with many episodes of Ghost Hunters, including the, the very memorable episode where uh, he got knocked on his butt. We'll talk to him about that and more. Because uh, we know Matt Moniz over here has been knocked on his butt a couple times. E sometimes even by ghosts. Yeah. Not not always by me and Costa either. Yeah. All right. Good evening, Dustin. How are you doing tonight? Good, man. How are you guys doing? All right. We're spooktacular, as we like to say. <laughs> well, a little worn out from earlier, but... Yeah, yeah. I hear you, brother. Me too. I had to take a good three-hour nap after that. <laughs> uh, I think I'll take mine after the show, because... <laughs> good idea. Uh, although, uh, if I start to fall asleep, you know, I'll just have Moniz nudge me. There you go. So, uh, yeah, I was I was telling everybody before uh, we brought you on that you know uh, you'd been you'd been absent from from some episodes, uh, you know, because of a growing family. Yeah. How, yeah how, how are things coming along with that? Things are doing great, man. Uh, I got a little girl now who's uh, five months old, and uh, everything's been fantastic. Having a good time, married life's doing good. They say the first year is the hardest, and uh, we had a pretty easy year, so hopefully it'll continue that way. Now, three is the hardest, trust me. I'm, right. go I'm going through it right now. Because <laughs> that's when they start to know everything, and I, from what I hear, it doesn't stop. Oh, geez. All right, I'll look forward to that. 
So, and you know, one one question we've talked about this with uh, with Kristen in the past too. But what do you do uh, as your child's growing up, and they they say, you know, there's there's somebody in the room. Look at that guy over there. I mean, how are you going to approach that? Have you talked about that at all with your wife? Um, I actually haven't spoken to the wife about it, but um, I, uh, I you know I'm a very spiritual person as well, and uh, I've uh, I've kind of I've kind of tried to uh, make a make a deal as it would be just to uh, you know I, I just pray for her a lot that uh, you know. If uh, she does get visited by spirits, that they're at least you know those are friendly ones, and I try to uh, try to do what I can to keep her on the on the good side of things. But uh, um, you know, when uh, if uh, that day approaches and uh, if she does have some kind of experience, I just try to put it in terms she can understand. And you know, I'm not going to discourage her because uh, I think that's what happens with uh, a lot of the kids that see spirits and stuff. You start discouraging them and telling them that you know this isn't there and they can't see that, they can't see this, and you kind of hinder their their uh, you know, their spirit as a child. You start, you know, taking the childhood away from you. Well, no, I mean, not only that, once you turn off that ability to recognize that it's around us, it's it's so hard you get to turn back on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even, yeah. If, even if you want it to. Right. Yep. Now, uh, one case uh, in particular comes to mind, last week's episode of the show, and I know that you weren't present at that case in Athol, but I'm, I'm sure you saw the episode where uh, the little girl was being visited by the spirit that had committed suicide in the house, and, you know, and she was saying that his his head was open and his brain was coming out. I mean, that's something that you don't want to have to go through as a parent, I'm sure. Yeah, no, that's something I don't even want to see myself. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. So, yeah, well, speaking of, of you being a very spiritual person, uh, it's one thing that doesn't really come across on the show very much. Um, I don't know if that's intentionally, if you if you don't want it to be involved in, in the, the show per se, but, you know, you are a very spiritual person, and... How does that affect the way that you do your work with TAPS being so scientifically based in, in that investigation? Um, well, I mean, the scientific part of it, uh, obviously, you know, we all we all try to keep to that. That way we don't get too uh, too carried away with things, uh, which I think is good. I think there can be a fine line drawn between, uh, you know, being a spiritual person and somebody that's open to interpretation with, you know, every everything that comes your way. Um, to me... My spirituality is just more having having a uh, a grounded belief um, in God's presence and, and, and an afterlife kind of thing. And uh, there there have been times where you know we were on cases uh, when Tango and I when we were actually in the Left Castle case, um, we were trying to uh, get the uh, the spirit in there of the uh, the priest to com- you know try to communicate with us and show itself to us. And uh, Tango and I uh, did an our father just to try to maybe familiarize ourselves, make the spirit feel uh, comfortable. Um, so, you know, we, we did that, and there's some things that, you know, I've talked about uh, previously on different episodes with, uh, I think I did one with Donna once, we were just talking about, uh, you know, the, the perhaps there's some people by, by showing them existence, uh, proof of, you know, afterlife and of ghosts and stuff that uh, maybe we can, get some people to, to realize that there is there is something beyond this realm and that, you know, maybe you should just start being a better person because God knows what your consequences are going to be, you know. Um, but, you know, it doesn't come across too much in the show because it is something that I kind of keep personal. I don't really kind of push it on too many other, you know, other people, not like that. And it's also, uh, you know, it's not all live TV, so a lot of stuff does get edited out anyway. True, yeah. Well, I mean, to me, if, if, if you have such a... a a belief and in, in such strong faith in the fact that there is an afterlife and that there is more than than what we're experiencing here, it it kind of 
changes your approach to the work because you can still, at the end of the day, if you don't have any verifiable proof scientifically that you can show to people without a shadow of a doubt this stuff is real, at least you still believe it, and you, that still charges you up every time you go out there, I'm sure. Right, yeah, it really does. It's just it's something that's very personal to me. Uh, you know, it, it means a lot to me to try to help these people, you know, and, and it's nice when we, we do have something that we can show them. But, um, you know, it, it, like you said, mentally it does, it does charge you up. It, it, what, what are your thoughts on psychics then? If you know that there, you know, there is more than what's here. I mean, do you think that I, I'm? I, it's weird, man, because I am absolutely sure that there are some people who do have the gift that that can communicate, that you know, that can cross over. But the unfortunate part, which is true with every other thing in life, even with you know, just our paranormal groups, you get some groups out there that it, that are just the whole goddamn thing's a charade. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all shit again because somebody wants to make money and. Uh, people get caught up in their own fame and, you know, their own, uh, their own notoriety. And, uh, a lot of people, I, I think, you know, especially over the years, um, you, you know, you hear stories about the, like the old timey, uh, traveling guy that would go to town and kind of flim flam people and, and take their money. And I think that's what's kind of given them a lot, um, a bad name. There's, um, there's certain ones that I'm sure, you know, do have that, uh, that potential. <coughs> Sylvia Brown. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's time for our weekly segment where we bash Sylvia Brown, but she is you know she's like what you're talking about. It's these people that they they might make a hit once in a while and get lucky, and they've been able to build this career uh, yeah. based on I mean, a couple of lucky hits and knowing how to read people. Right, like that. Um, who was it? Uh, Edward that had the crossing over show. Yep, John Edward. Um, yeah, I mean, there's like I've never uh, witnessed any of these people um, in person, so uh, you know I don't I don't like to bash people without you know actually having a personal encounter with them, but. Um, you watch some of these shows and stuff, and it's like, okay, you make enough word generalizations, of course you're going to hit something. You know, it's just like going to get your palm read or something. Somebody in this room had somebody pass away whose name started with a letter M. Yeah, you know, <laughs> some like, people in the room, I'm sure you're going to get that eventually. When he starts saying the same letters that they give you in the final round of uh, Wheel of Fortune, R S T L N E, you know, when you get all those, and then right. people are bidding for more letters. That's that's when it gets really out of control. <laughs> So, uh, what, what's probably your your most memorable? I mean, we all know what happened to you uh, at Lep Castle, and, and yeah. But I mean, what's the most memorable investigation that you've gone on, whether we've seen it on television or not? Um, I really think my my most memorable case was the uh, Saint Augustine Lighthouse down in Florida, uh, where we were in the uh, lighthouse. Uh, Brian and I were in the lighthouse. Um, when we when we saw the uh, half apparition of of the woman up, up top, that was just the fact that it would it would interact on some level, and the fact that to see an apparition like that because I can't remember the last time I saw you know an actual figure of a person. I, I think it was even before I was attached, and um, I mean that's just something. No matter how many times you see it, it's never enough. It never stays long enough. And, you know, you never lose that uh, little kid sensation of, of that excitement that just takes over you. That was that place is just spectacular. I'd really love to get back down there sometime. Well, you said before you were with TAPS, what, what kind of experience did you have in the field before you joined up with them? Um, I was just kind of out uh, by myself with uh, friends of mine from high school, different places that I've worked at, you know, kind of all people that are interested in the same thing that I was. Um, we never really had a uh, official group with any kind of clever acronym or anything for a name, but... Um, we would go, you know, just kind of hang out, uh, started out old school grave stomping and then checking out like local folklore in different places. Um, you know, getting kicked out of places, almost arrested, <laughs> that kind of stuff. All right, well, I believe we have a call for days. you. I know what you mean, Joseph. 
I know what you mean, Dust. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Dustin from Ghost Hunters. How you doing? Good. How you doing? All right. How's it going, Tom? Great. How you doing, Matt? Oh, hey, Tom. Hello. Hi. How you doing? All right. This is Tom D'Agostino, the author of Haunted Massachusetts, Haunted Rhode Island, Haunted New Hampshire, and Haunted Your Own Backyard. R- really? <laughs> I think there's like there's like 47 other states you still got, so I don't know yeah, why you, you get yeah, your well, start well, right. My backyard is haunted. I haven't seen Robbie's uh, doings yet. <laughs> <laughs> so what's up tonight, Tom? Oh, nothing. I was just calling about uh, what Justin said about people making money on the situation and everything, which I thought was an awesome thing to bring up. It does seem to be, uh, you know, the new craze. Um, and you must experience that quite a bit, Dustin. You know, being on television, you must have a lot of these people trying to glom on to what you guys are doing. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of, you know, copycat stuff. and I mean, there's a lot of groups that have, have taken what we've, we've done and used it as a platform to really just help solidify themselves, you know, which a lot of them did in a very good way, uh, which is great for the field and for the research. Um uh, you always hear the stories too about the other ones that are just out there just trying to make a buck off people and that's always unfortunate you know it's it's one thing to to have to make a living which you know everybody understands but it's another to go out there and you know prey on somebody's weakness and and their gullibility in order to uh try to you know solidify a living for yourself that way well, oh yeah sorry go ahead Tom. i've been doing this for 25 years and I've done like a thousand investigations. I can't tell you how many times people would say, "Well, how much do we owe you?" And I'm going, I'd look at them like nothing, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, who, who would charge you for this? <laughs> so they're always surprised too because everyone's expecting, you know, they're going to have to pay something, and that's that just shows what kind of other people that they've uh, they've done business with. Well, I think a lot of people lose sight. I mean, everybody, all these groups will go out there now and say, well, we don't charge. And, and they'd say that because they, they watch Ghost Hunters and TAPS doesn't charge. Or because the other groups that they know about don't charge. They don't really understand the basis of why groups don't charge. Because if you start charging, then you start, you know, creating that doubt in people's minds that you are, you know, some sort of flim flam man, some sort of scam artist here. And, and, and if you, you know, if you are somebody who can generate um, a lot of income doing that, it only just feeds the fire. I mean, I can think of 20 people off the top of my head that in the last couple of months have been accused of being frauds only because they were able to turn around and make some money off of this. And you can't blame people for that. They give so much time and so much of themselves and, and just gas money driving around or plane oh, yeah. fare to check out these places that, you know, they try to take a little something back and the next thing you know they're on somebody's hit list. Right. No, yeah. I mean, that, that does happen. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we're grateful for is, um, you know, thanks to, to uh, Pilgrim Films, the, you know, the, the production company and, and sci-fi and stuff, obviously all, all our expenses and stuff are taken off the table. Um, so it's that really helps us and, uh, you know, allows us to, to go to places that normally we'd never have access to and never have the ability to, to go visit. Sure. I mean, I can only imagine, uh, you know, just the number of places that want to have you guys come and investigate just so they can, you know, get that little boost. And all of a sudden places that weren't haunted before or, or weren't advertising themselves as haunted before are now, you know, the number one ghost destination of Wyoming. <laughs> there seems to be a lot of those popping up. Yeah. Well, we, what we've done with um, basically we got a coalition together. So if we can't actually go there, you know, we got a great bunch of people, I know, people like Matt Moniz, or somebody who is in an area where they're available to do this. 
sure. and help out. And, you know, it's, I've, I've been very, very lucky to meet all these great investigators and, and wonderful people where they call me and they say, well, we're out in New York State. And I'm like, woo, you know, we can't do that. <laughs> but I know people who can. Well, I mean, and, and they will help you. And we always work with the best, best people, you know, no charlatans, none of this. They're people with great experience because uh, just like you said, there's, there's so many people out there. Oh, yeah, I've been doing this for six months. It's awesome. I bought a tape recorder. Let's go ghost hunting. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Dustin, you, you guys have a similar network set up with the, uh, the TAPS family. Yeah, that, and that's been around, you know, for, for many years before, uh, before the show and stuff. And, and that was just for that purpose, just because. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it costs money to go places, and, uh, and and it takes a lot of time to do a thorough investigation. And you know, sometimes you want to go play two or three times. And you're lucky enough to uh, to find people, uh, credible people, and good groups that are willing to work with you. And uh, I mean, if anything, just for the field of research, you know, it makes it stronger. And there's a really a lot of good people that are out there in this field. So it's uh, it's really nice to have those opportunities. You know, and you and you hear people say, "Oh, well, gee, I I, I want taps to come." And I want ghost hunters to come and film a show here, and you, you you recommend their family, you know, a family that's close by, and it's somebody that you trust and work with, and you can kind of weed out who it is that's just trying to get themselves on TV. Oh, like, yeah. oh no, I want, I want taps, and you got to yeah, tell, they, hey, Ray Kroc only made the first Big Mac, okay, <laughs> and somebody else did the work after that. Uh, that's a good yeah, point. Like, people do forget we do work for a living too. We can't just like trip across the country. <laughs> Right. I mean, there's been times where we've gone out to even do, uh, you know, TAPS members, um, we've gone out to do a case, uh, you know, either without Jan Grant or, uh, you know, with everybody, but not for the television show, and then they're not interested. And it's like, oh, okay, oh. so you're just, you're just a, you know, you just want notoriety and you just want to meet people, so whatever. <laughs> and Kristen yeah, was telling us when good. she... When she gets the emails and they start off with, I have a really good case that would be a, gr- a good episode of Ghost Hunter, she just says, yeah. delete. <laughs> <laughs> We, I mean, we, we really, I, I, my wife Arlene and I, we really, uh, we, we love doing it. We hope, always been working with the best people. We look for the, uh, uh, uh the best groups around, you know, and, uh, that's where we started, Paranormal United Research Society, in the hopes of being able to help people and solve all this, you know, any puzzle piece of the puzzle we can solve. And it, it's, it's been wonderful, but it's also, uh, you get so many people that just say, oh, I've been doing this for six months, and I, you know, or I've been doing this for a year, and I got 90 EVPs in this place. It's awesome. Right. And then you listen to it, and you hear, like, the, the car exhaust backfiring. Yeah, chirping. And, well, now, now, you guys are both, uh, you know, investigating all around Rhode Island. Uh, what are some of these haunts uh, in, in Rhode Island, Dustin? What's one of your favorites? Um, Actually, when I, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Tom. Matt, Matt actually, oh, are you talking to me? No, he's talking to <laughs> Dustin. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure you both have similar favorites anyway. There's one place, actually, that I've never had access to go, but, uh, and I mean, the stories are so like, vast about the place that I, it's hard to tell what's actual true and what was just folklore, but um, down in um, the, like, the Greenville section of Smithfield, uh, this is a place that I try to go several times. Um, if they were able to get uh, clearance to go there, and every time I try to go personally, it just didn't work out. Uh, but um, there's a, a, an old house, and you know it's it's like half fallen down. There's like three walls left of it up, 
uh, way down in the woods, uh, just down off 44 there. And uh, there's, there's apparently there's a lot of EVPs that you get there. Um, the one I hear the most is uh, of an old woman, which, of course, everybody says is a witch, this, that, and the other, but you take that, you know, with a grain of salt. Um, but it's just one of those places that you just look you look at, and it just looks like the classic, you know, 1920s horror movie kind of place. And just, just from that alone, um, I've always wanted to go there. But I have mm-hmm. been outside the place where I've been able to see, uh, like, some lights in the, in the like, throughout the throughout the uh, the woods just around it. Um, so the land seems to be really charged with some kind of activity, uh, but unfortunately never able to get access to it myself. Whereabouts in Greenville? Um, if you go, I don't want to give like exact directions. <laughs> Everybody will be out there right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I grew up over there. That's why. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, it's your uh, old house then, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. No. It's uh, down past um, like where where the stop and shop is over there. Oh yeah. Um, you take that. You take that offshoot, that road that crosses. I'm not sure where. I know it's Greenville Ave when it goes to Johnson, but when it goes the other way, uh, mm-hmm. when you go down there, you go by where the school is in the football field, and we would take a left and go all the way down that road. It's um, there's a gentleman over there who owns. Uh, it's uh, it's the only way I can describe the area. It's, uh, it's a big uh, tire pile. It's uh, I think it was rated one of the. Oh, that house uh, is gone. The the place at the end of the road is all gone. Yeah, the house is gone. There's still cows and cattle grazing there. Oh, really? And the Audubon Society owns it now. Oh, we, man. We, we I, haven't, I haven't tried to get down there in several years. So We we live right nearby. We bicycle through that all the time. No I'm kidding. Yeah. We did just, you, have, did you, you have a chance to go uh, do any investigating there when the place was still up? No, I didn't. It was a ruin, though. It was. We stopped there and we said, we got to go and check this out. And uh, yeah, Arlene awesome. and I... And, we came back the next time, and it was leveled, and there was no chimney, no nothing, and just cattle oh, running around. <laughs> oh, that's a damn shame. I, I remember I was in uh, freshman year of college, and uh, that was the last time I think I was actually there because uh, the gentleman who owns that tire pile, he used to have a, uh, this, um, you know, like the gas station, the thing that dings when you drive in for people yeah. that can still afford full serve. Um, he had one of those set up because I guess a lot of kids used to try to get down there, and uh he got me cornered down there once, and uh, he had the cops come and everything else, and I was just like, you know what, it's not worth it at this point. Well, we could actually get in there because it's part of the Audubon Society now. Right. And uh, you could actually go, too, with the, the stairs still walk up, and you still go there, and there's, like, the uh, foundation is still there and everything. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if anything's still just left in the, you know, in the land in the area there. It could be. No one's ever bothered, but um, the... Well, Smithfield Audubon Society got that whole land now. We, we, like I said, we bicycle by it all the time. And, yeah, if you come up, there's some really cool places up here you'd probably be real interested in uh, checking out. Stagecoach Tavern? Stagecoach Tavern. Yeah, or Tavern on Main now, as we yeah. call it. Yes, you've been there, Matt. <laughs> I want to go back. Oh, yeah, definitely. We, um, as you know, if you've got an open invitation there. I, I, I want to go back. You want to come with us, Justin? Uh, it depends when you go. My schedule's been a little tight lately, <laughs> but uh, local stuff I'm 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 up for more than uh, it's in Chapachet. It's in Chapachet. Yeah, where the heck is that? Actually, it's only a few miles from that house too. You're talking about? Yeah, about cool. seven miles. They're uh, they're gonna cor- corner you into it, Dustin. Just just do what I do. Just say yeah, sure, I'll go. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're getting it. We're roping them in. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, well, uh, thank you, Tom, for, for checking in with us tonight. Well, thank you. And, I appreciate it. And I'm hoping that you can join us, uh, where, that case that you've been working on with Matt up in our neck of the woods here. Uh, we'd like to have you come in and, and discuss that one in, in the next couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, that's an incredible place. I'd be more than happy to. I'd be honored to. All right, well, then we will see you in a couple of weeks. Thank maybe thank maybe you. next week. All right, Please. Tom, thank you. Have a good night. Take care. Thank you, Tom. Yes, uh, he's been involved with a, a case that Matt Moniz has been investigating quite a bit lately, and the, the people finally feel comfortable enough to go public with it, and um, some pretty unbelievable activity. For yeah, them. it's a very interesting case. Um, you might find this interesting, Dustin. All right. Uh, the house was a um, home that was built in the late 1700s. Then through all of the 1800s, it was a funeral home. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people were brought there even before they died uh, because of various diseases, knowing they were going to be die- dying and and stuff. But uh, now it's a residence, and it's turned into um, a set of apartments, yet the third floor is left unfinished, but that's where all the activity is. So I told the homeowners to, you know, put down some powder. This is an old ghost hunter's trick, because I've been doing this stuff since 1982, and I started learning from various old books that if you put powder down, you could potentially see footprints because, you know, it, it has a twofold effect. Number one, if there is theoretically something walking around up there, it's supposed to leave footprints, which I have seen in the past. Number two, it also will show you footprints of mice or whatever other critters might be also running up there. So it's like, ah, here's your, here's your real critter that's, you know, roaming around. Right. But uh, they've also, we've gotten actual footprints, and uh, the one of the homeowners has started asking questions. We have a photograph of it writing answers in the powder. Really? Yeah. Do you have photographs of the answers in the rain, or do you have video of, like, while it's going on? Right after, right after it's done. Wow, crazy. Uh, we, Tom and I were also talking about, we have several EVPs, that where him and I were talking and doing asking questions, it's answering his questions on my recorder, and it's answering my questions on his recorder. <laughs> just to mess with you? Yeah, just to mess with us. <laughs> so, and is that something that you've experienced uh, out in the field? Do you get a lot of times that you feel the spirits messing with you? There was uh, actually this Halloween uh, Halloween case that we just did. Mm-hmm. Waverly. Um, yeah, this place is nuts. I was, I was so glad to go there because I remember I, I wasn't able to go the first time, and you know, it's one of those places I really wanted to see, and uh, it's fantastic. But um, the fifth hour or whatever the hell hour it was, the last hour, it felt uh, we were up in the in the fifth floor, and you know, we felt like nothing was going on. Uh, I was up there with Chris Williams, and we were just kind of went to the whole place, did you know, did all the EMF sweeps, did some EVP work. Tried just sitting around quiet. Nothing was going on. So we just kind of sitting around bullshit for a little bit. And uh, time came to wrap up. We uh, went downstairs, grabbed a quick snack, went back up, her and I, to get the cameras and everything down. And I swear, the hour we were up there, it was just so dead. Like, there was nothing going on. There was no chance of anything happening. You just can just feel like there's there no presence. And uh, we go up there, we're in one room, and we're trying to get the camera and stuff down. And we hear all this racket just outside around the corner. And I was like, oh, you know, let's go check it out and make sure somebody came up to help us and stuff. You know, it's, it's pitch dark up there. And there was nobody up there. And it, it was just weird because we've been waiting this whole time, and all of a sudden there's nothing. And then we go downstairs, and we started to bring the cameras, you know, d- down to uh, to, our, to our headquarters. We could pack everything up. 
And I've never had a present. It was funny because she and I both looked at each other like, what the hell is this? It, it literally felt like something was like right behind us going down the hall. And it, was, it was just like something was messing with us. And it's just, just one of those things that it's just like they, uh, sometimes they seem like they want to play and you know, sometimes they, they don't bother at all. But when they're in the mood, man, they just drive it nuts. <laughs> Now, you had the same kind of sighting with Chris that I had in the uh, tunnel, that little thing rolling down the thing and then just flattening out. Yeah, and that, that was, was that wild. Was I, uh, I didn't even know what to Like, I really thought at first that it was an animal because, um, you know, we just we had just bumped into a bat at one end of the thing, and uh, I did hear some scurrying stuff out of the woods, so I thought, you know, maybe something was coming down the chute at us. But it was going so fast, and, it's like, you know, I had the light on it, and you can tell it, it wasn't a solid object, but yet it was so dark that it wasn't being, you know, permeated by the light. Right. And uh, I jumped out of the way over to where her side was because, you know, I, I, like I said, I thought it was like a, like a skunk or something coming at me. Next thing you know, the thing's just gone. And I'm like, where the hell could it have went? Like, it, there's no place to hide there. It was really crazy. I, it, Like I told you, I had four or five other people with me uh, d- during this uh, group. There was a group of 20 down the bottom, but these women were all standing right beside me. And when this thing came rolling down at us, they just all started screaming and latching onto me. And I'm trying to follow this thing. And it's, no, it it looked like everybody with you. It it looked like a small little dark rolling mass that just came rolling down. And by the time it got about three feet from me, it just like spread and flattened out and just vanished. It was the wildest thing I had ever seen. Uh, We called it a graveling for whatever. You know that uh, show, Dead Like Me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was about the best we, name we could come up for it. It wasn't like a, a shadow person or anything else like that. It was just this right. weird little black mass that just, like, came rolling at you and then just flattened out and disappeared. Yeah, it was, I mean, Chris, Chris was sitting down because she just wanted to straighten her hair. Like, uh, she, I think she's putting her hair up or she's doing something <laughs> with it. And so I was just kind of, I had the flashlight on her. And then I saw it out of the corner of my eye, and I turned the light on it. I was like, what the hell is this thing? And it was, so, it was coming so fast. It, that's um, that's what I mean. It looked, to me, it looked like it was rolling. Yeah, that's, that's what, like, I, I thought it had, like, that natural kind of, like, hump motion of, like, you know, if you see, like, a... Like, like a ball a, rolling like a downhill. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, that running kind of bouncing thing. But, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, that was really strange. I, and it's funny, because I was trying to talk to the other guys about it. You know, they've never seen anything like it either. So I'm glad to hear that other people have had the uh, same experience. So I know I'm not completely done. <laughs> can't identify what it was. It was just curious. It didn't seem threatening or dangerous. It just seemed like, what the hell is this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and speaking of the, the Halloween episode of Ghost Hunters and all the controversy that surrounded it, I, I guess uh, you and Chris must be pretty lucky you ended up with Deanna when it came to walking around and hunting because uh, <laughs> everything seemed yeah. pretty calm and peaceful with your group. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. She was uh, she was a very nice girl, and uh, she kind of seemed to be level headed, and uh, we weren't really grilling her again too hot of a time. We we're just kind of doing the investigation like we do, and just kind of see how uh, things were going. Um, at one point, uh, there was we heard this. I mean, literally, we were just walking down, uh, trying to figure out what the location was as far as where it was on the floor. But we were just kind of toward the toward the back end uh, where the rear staircase is. And uh, we heard this loud bang, and we're like, what the heck is that? So we start to go, you know, really slow and trying to listen and see what we see. And all of a sudden, the door next to us completely slammed. And it was just from the wind outside, but it was weird because we're all, you know, looking for it, looking for it. And all of a sudden, it's like, bang, right there. And, like, she jumped, but she didn't run anywhere. So it's like, well, at least, you know, she, you know, she's, 
Should have pulled Elijah Burke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For a big dude, man, he can move. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a nice little, uh, that little high step maneuver before he takes off. It's like, almost <laughs> yeah, like a cartoon character. <laughs> well, I mean, what was that like, though, to have to bring a, a contestant around with you when it's it's really you and, and Chris's first opportunity to get to poke around and investigate Waverly Hills, and now you have to bring somebody else into the mix that, you know, doesn't really know what they're doing, necessarily. Right. Yeah, it definitely puts a wrench in the works, but, uh, you know, it's it's fun because it, it's, it's um, especially when, you know, the, the, the lulls in the, in the investigation, um, it, it's nice to have somebody with with that new attitude, you know, because uh, as, as exciting as it is to be at a location like that, there's, there's still times where, you know, you've been doing this for a while and it starts to wear on you in those hours in between where you don't have any activity going on. So it's nice to see the, uh, the fresh faces there. But, um, you know, luckily we weren't uh, hindered by anything that was going on. But uh, I, I'm sort of still impressed at how, how fast he moves. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not sure that I, I forget the gentleman's name that actually won the contest. Um, yeah, I can't remember either. And actually, we went back to the airport the next day together. Him and I, we both flew out first. And it actually, he's uh, he was talking to Steve because he is uh, petrified of flying, and that was his first time on a plane. Oh wow! Was coming out for the show, so it meant that much to him. So that was cool. Now, so I mean, I mean he's going to bring a, a. I mean, I don't know what the plan is, uh, how long he's going to be involved with the show or uh, the investigations or, or what. But uh, it must be. You know, pretty good to have somebody uh, with his the skill set he brings. Where if uh, if anything shows up there that isn't paranormal, he'll definitely take care of that. <laughs> yeah, I can just imagine like somebody poking around Waverly trying to trick everybody, and he just tackles them to the ground. Him right. and Steve together. <laughs> I'll tell you, we had um, it was cool when we got there because we had you know, a lot of fans in Kentucky and stuff that showed up. Um, and of course, being a live show, we had to have security around the uh, the premises just for uh, you know, obviously the investigation purposes but also just for everybody's safety and um they they i think they said there was like half uh there was almost a dozen people that like were come trying to get onto the property at night um and like uh, they said that, you know because they do shut it down even you know regular nights after after they have their tours and stuff and uh they have people that are always trying to creep in there but um yeah it's it, it was pretty cool being down there i just um oh jesus Sorry, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to make baby bottles as I do my interview. <laughs> Part-time ghost hunter, full-time dad. Yeah, we we don't mind you making the baby bottles. It's when you try to make the babies while you're doing the interview that we don't like. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that's happened before with some of our past guests. <laughs> I usually shut the phone off during those days. Yeah, that, that's a good idea. <laughs> so now, is there any place uh, that that you haven't had a chance to investigate yet? You know, anywhere that that you really want to get out and check out, whether it be you know for the show or with Tap or even on your own. Um, I know a place that, that we've, uh, you know, everybody locally knows about and a place that we've talked about trying to get into but never really get access to was uh, the Lab Center. Um, oh, yeah, yep. That's, I mean, you know, that's a place that I've been before, um, you know, obviously before everything was going down because then I know they started making actual arrests on people that were on the property. But uh, and, and Waverly reminded me a lot of that, um, with you know, just with the, the fact that there's still like uh, uh, exam tables, and you know, it just looks a lot like an old hospital still. It's just and there's a lot of stories around there too. But uh, that's one place I'd really like to get into if I ever had the opportunity. But now you've been there on your own, or you poked around there, or yeah, um, probably uh, I think about six or seven months before I ended up in, with Taps. But before you were getting permission, is what you said. 
Yeah. Well, because I'm pretty sure I didn't. Hasn't Tom investigated there? Yeah, he, Tom actually got permission to investigate there, and uh, I can talk to Tom again. Uh, we'll see if we can get back in there. Will that help you? I'm sorry, you're kind of breaking up there. I was going to say, I'll talk to Tom and see if we can get permission to go back in there. Would you like to go if we can oh, get absolutely. permission? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. I, I know um, I know. with the show they tried getting permission and they didn't really want too much um, more publicity for the place yeah. and what they already have to deal with. But if we could get that in there on a, on a, you know, just on a quiet, quiet level, personal yeah. thing, that'd yeah. be great. Yeah. So there's a whole website dedicated to it, and and the hauntings going on there, and it's it makes it almost seem like it's an official website for the for the building, you know. Yeah, I the, know. It's a very I've seen that site. It's very well done, actually. It's because we brought it up. We we did a show where we talked about uh, haunted asylums, schools, and prisons, and and that was one that it came up, and I hadn't heard of it till that point. And then when I went to the website, I was like, oh wow, they really pushed the hauntings there. We can go down there and broadcast live. They'll love to have us. They'll open the door, roll out the red carpet. Uh, but that, yeah, that definitely is uh, that definitely is one that you know people who have been in there report crazy activity going on in there. Yeah, I mean, when I was there, we just heard a lot of uh, the, the only thing was um, you know I was just there with a bunch of friends and stuff, so obviously we wouldn't have the place secure to ourselves. And uh, it's one of those places that's so big that if there are all the people in there that you don't know of kind of poking around, it can kind of uh, screw up your investigation. But um, there's a lot of unexplained uh, sounds and just random. Uh, like phantom sense and stuff. It's just a fantastic looking place. Now, uh, what what else can we expect uh, with the, you know, the show? What's what's already been planned? What are some of the places that are already in the works for the show that, that we can you, talk I about? Don't, I don't even know. I'm like the last one to know. I'm usually <laughs> like the guy they call and they're like, hey, what's your schedule like this week? And I try to work it out and they uh, they let me know and then I show up if I can. Because uh, I, I, I have an idea of one that I'm... I'm uh, been poking around on with Kristen, trying to get the permissions and everything. So uh, we'll let you know when we can talk about it. But uh, do you do you like baseball? Do I like baseball? Of course, I like baseball. Okay, so just keep that in mind. It's supposed to be a hint. Now I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm not talking about McCoy. Right. No. So uh, <laughs> I actually work there part time. I don't want to be there anymore than I have to. What do you What do you do there? Um, I've kind of moonlight there during the season, uh, just being an uh, audio operator for the games. Ah. I've been doing that. Probably about, I think, since 02 or Yeah, I was looking at your website earlier. Uh, we'll throw in a play, DustinPowery.com. Check it out, everybody. I was, I was looking at your website earlier. You've had, like, 50 jobs. Yeah. <laughs> at the same right. time. I um I stay busy. That's for damn sure. Um, you know, times are tough. Something doesn't pay that much. you got to you gotta, uh, <laughs> do what you got to do to pay the bills here. But look so, at all uh, the different skill sets you can bring into investigation from the different stuff that you pick up. Yeah, you know, it's good to probably get my EMT background in case somebody takes a digger or hurts themselves or just faints. Um, i got that going on. i get my uh, my video background, which is, I think, what solidified my position in TAPS because when it comes to hooking up the equipment and uh, trying to, you know, discern the evidence, looking for different, uh, you know, light anomaly, uh, anomalies or, or just video flaws and stuff, um, that's kind of uh, what really helped me get into there. So, uh so yeah, all the random jobs that you do actually do does pay off in one place or another. Sure, I, I can imagine. Now uh, you don't actually go out and do a lot of these uh, the public appearance stuff that the rest of Taps does. So you, do you have anything that you want to uh, promote before before we let you go? Um, no, I, I'm I'm just kind of like the uh, you know, despite how they played me up in the uh, the first season I was on, I'm not quite as uh, as pretty as I think I am. I'm kind of the low key <laughs> member that doesn't do a lot of the appearances or anything. I just uh, I just kind of will go to work all day, hang up my family, and uh, 
I'm grateful for the opportunity that these guys give me when I get the chance to go with them. So uh, I appreciate it, but I've got nothing to plug. Well, you know what it is. It's it's the blue steel in the opening. When you throw <laughs> blue steel during the opening, that's the... <laughs> every... I'll tell you, man. We, we shot that thing at least six or seven times, like in the basement. Like They kept like, all right, now turn around and look scared. I'm like, I don't know how to look scared. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to act. And I just did the blue steel thing. It's a joke because I love Zoolander. And, uh, and sure enough... <laughs> That's the one they go with. I was like, perfect. That's, a, that's a, the first time I ever saw it. That's exactly what popped into my head. <laughs> well, see, maybe I can act a little better than I think. There you go. <laughs> but but ghost hunters are not actors. We have to stress that these last couple of weeks because right. yeah. of all the controversy going on. So There's always something. Hey, you know, uh, you guys might actually get called in for more work now with this Hollywood writer strike. <laughs> you know, there might be some more some more ghost hunters episodes coming out than usual. Uh, that thing's a disaster, too. I love it. They're striking over something that technically there's no money to strike for yet. But I guess it's always good to get your ducks in a row in case. The best story ever, just as an aside, my, my parents, have, my mother's longed to go see a Broadway play, and, and my dad uh, finally got her some tickets for her birthday. Everybody chipped in, and uh, she's supposed to go Wednesday, and the, the Broadway stagehands went on strike today. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Great timing, huh? Yeah, it's like going out to Hollywood. I finally got tickets to go watch them tape uh, Everybody Loves Raymond or whatever. I don't even know if that's still on. I don't know. Oh, okay, the only TV I watch is Ghost Hunters. Wink, wink. <laughs> All right, well, we'd like to thank you for joining us tonight, Dustin, especially on uh, short notice. Oh, not a problem. It was my pleasure. I know I've mentioned to you guys before we never got around to doing it, so uh, it was my pleasure, man. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. And uh, if we don't uh, corner you into some investigations, and we'll definitely see you in the spring at the uh, spring version of today's event. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, absolutely. If you, uh, if you ever do uh, get something together, uh, you know, give me a call. So if you can hook up that light center thing, it'd be awesome. Sure. Yeah, I'll get you hooked up. All right, sweet. All right, thank you. That is Dustin Parry of Ghost Hunters and the Atlantic Paranormal Society. And uh, if you want to call in uh, next hour and share some of your thoughts on uh, the paranormal, you can feel free to do so. 508 996 500 Have I ever blanked on the phone numbers here before? <laughs> you didn't. Oh, and it's right, and in, front of me on a wall. right in front of you. <laughs> they're everywhere in here, and I blanked on it. But uh, And we'll be glad to talk to you about that. But in the second hour, we will give you the return of the Week and Weird, another big return. We have the Week and Weird, our little new segment where we talk about some of the strange and unusual stuff going on around uh, in and around our world. <laughs> Who writes this crap? <laughs> Me. <laughs> and then uh, we will also be talking to Jason Mayo, who has put out Tales of Rocky Point Park, a new comic book uh, detailing some stories surrounding the House of Horrors from Rocky Point Park. We'll talk to him not only about the comic and about his memories of the House of Horrors, but just stuff about Rocky Point in general. Uh, who knows, maybe he snuck around there and did some poking around without permission, too. I mean, it, it's nice that Dustin can say, oh, yeah, I went there without permission because now that he's in taps, you know, nobody's going to call him on and be like, hey, 1999, you guys were poking around the lad center without permission. You know, he's like, I'm a ghost hunter. But everybody, you know, we we highly recommend that you do get permission uh, before you go anywhere. All right. That's all I have to say about that. Not more to be said. We'll be right back uh, just after the CBS News on Spooky South Coast. civilizations, extraterrestrials, myths and monsters, missing persons, magic and witchcraft, unexplained phenomena. 
For 58 years, Fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate is a factual magazine containing articles by experts in all walks of life and by others just like you who have had something dynamic, significant, and truthful to say. Keep up with the latest on all aspects of the paranormal. Angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To subscribe, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. What's your lift? Take a chance and face the wind. Open road and a road that's hit. Brand new life around the bend. There were times. Lost a dream or two. Found the train. At the end was Beaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSF into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. That's for you, buddy. <laughs> That's for that 15-year-old kid that gave us a hard time. Doesn't he know who we are? I had the shirt on. I know, really. Spooky South Coast. We could have told them we were just trying to draw out the ghosts. <sighs> well, who is the boss? Did they ever figure that out? Show was on for like 15 years. They never really answered. I say it was question. Mona. You say Mona? Yeah. You've you've told me that for years. That's been your that's been your theory. It's it's kind of ironic because in that crappy last season, the boss became that little kid with the voice like Sylvia Brown, the one who sounded like he smoked four packs a day. I don't think it was a kid. He was way too like precocious to be a kid. I'm pretty sure he was like 45 year old actor. Midget actor. It's like Vern Troyer's dad. He's like, hey, Tony. Hey, Angela. I'm the boss now. <laughs> See that shark? You go jump over it. <laughs> All right. Speaking of jumping the shark, we're getting dangerously close to that point. So how is everybody out there? How was your week? Any paranormal experiences you'd like to report? Any questions you might have about the paranormal? That's what we talk about each and every week here on Spooky South Coast. And generally, we're a little bit more serious than we are tonight, but... We had a lot of fun uh, today with with Dustin Parry, our guest. Uh, he's just he's just such a easygoing, laid back guy, and you know you can't you can't help but you know have fun in an interview like that. And of course, Tom, you know, for his uh, when we have Tom on and as serious as he comes across, he's a, he's a pretty fun guy too. So oh, he's a hoot. So uh, and and you know we'll bring him in for that upcoming story, uh, the upcoming episode in the local haunts. We also have coming up for you in a couple of weeks, uh, right after Thanksgiving, we will have Jim Mars who is uh, an investigative journalist who chronicles things such as the uh, Kennedy assassination, the uh, 9-11 controversies, uh, and his new book is called Psy Spies. It's about America's program, uh, the, the government's program of using remote viewing. So uh, we will talk to him about that, and of course we'll definitely talk to him about the Kennedy assassination because it will be just a few days after the anniversary. So uh, you don't want to miss that show. We might even bring in a special guest uh, co-host for that night too. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and well, while we're talking about it, we'll throw another plug for banalofamerica.com. Uh, you can check out Tim Banal's interviews with Jim Mars there, as well as a whole host of others. And uh, we're trying to see if he can come in and join us that night. If he can, it'll be great because you know he's already talked to Jim a couple of times, and he's read all of his books, and he's well versed in everything that uh, he's that also a spooky South Coast fan. He is, and we are Banal of America fans, so it, it always helps if you can 
you know, bring somebody. Because that's what we're all about here. We're all about working together for the most part. There's one guy in this field that I refuse to work with, and I will never, ever work with Matt Costa. Oh, gee, he's already here. Oh, I'm leaving. No, but seriously, folks, uh, we do talk about the paranormal every week, and uh, we are here from 10 to midnight on Saturday nights. If you miss any part of the show or if you'd like to hear it again, you can just go to iTunes or uh, anywhere where you get podcasts. You can download the free podcast every week. Or if you want to hear it uh, not in podcast form, just listen to it on the web, you can go to the blog at SpookySouthCoast.com, and we post all the shows up there. You just click on the little arrow that says Click Here to Play, and uh, you can listen to the show in its entirety. Sometimes I like to listen to them and pretend like I wasn't there and and see if I can hear them from a new perspective. And all I end up doing is sitting there and remarking, wow, that guy's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. All right, why don't we uh, do the re- grand return of the little segment we like to call... Oh, I was waiting for you to hit it. Because oh. it, it, it says it in the opening. Oh. So... <laughs> More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful, weird stuff. Yeah, we got the cheesy, the cheesy, the cheesy, the cheesy, the cheesy, the the week in weird. See, that's right. <laughs> that's you at the end. That, that just a guy that sounds like me. Right. It's my doppelvoicer. <laughs> Our first story comes from WCVB Channel 5 in Boston from their website, bostonchannel.com. The investigation continues into a chilling grave robbery in New Hampshire in which the remains of a woman buried in 1821 were stolen sometime last week. New Center 5's, and let me get this right, Jorge Acaroga. You know, I've, I've, see, I've seen him say it on the news a thousand times. I've never actually had to say it myself, but... Jorge Caroga reported that there is no doubt the grave was dug up with great care. The hole is perfectly rectangular and about five and a half feet deep. The dirt was left in ritualistic neat piles to either side. On Halloween night, the grave robbers made off with the remains of a Hillsborough, New Hampshire woman who died in 1821. Sarah Simons, the same name as a woman living 200 years earlier, who was prosecuted for witchcraft in the infamous Salem Witch Trials. Police said they believe the theft is connected to witchcraft or a satanic ritual. And according to Wiccan expert Don Whitting, it's like night and day. Satanism is, for lack of a better term, more culture-like worshipping, more cult-like worshipping, sacrificing and doing harm sometimes. Whitting shares many of the Wiccans or witchcraft beliefs. She said grave robbing is not one of them. Uh, they don't believe in power from taking... They don't believe in power from taking something else, taking from family from the earth, she said. They would not do anything like that. She did, however, say it is a common mistake to equate witchcraft with Satanism. So, really, like, people don't know history when they go out to, to, to rob graves. I mean, do the math, people. <laughs> she died in 1821. She would have she really had to have been a witch to have, uh, you know, been prosecuted in the Salem Witch Trials and then died 200 years after that. So, yeah, do the math. That's, that's just lazy. It is. It's that's laziness. lazy grave robbing. Lazy grave robbing. At least get the right one. <laughs> All right, Matt Costa, what do you have for us? All right. Ohio Representative Dennis Kucinich confirmed in a recent debate that, yes, he has, in fact, seen an unidentified flying object. In a book by Shirley MacLaine, Kucinich said... So it must be true. It must be true. 
Kachenis had said he saw a, a triangle, triangle of craft fly over her home in Washington State, to which Kachenich confirmed all that all that was true when questioned at the debate, and he defended it as a solid policy position. More more Americans have seen UFOs than approve Bush's presidency, and he deadpanned that he and he deadpanned that he plans to open campaign offices in Roswell, New Mexico. Moderator Tim Russert helpfully noted that 14% of Americans reported having seen a UFO, but the exchange led to a serious crush for questions of Kuchinich in the post-debate spin room. Reporters sought details. Kuchinich had stated that it was more than 25 years ago and would not go into detail about it. He also stated that that's not why he's running for president, and he did confirm that the he did confirm that the incident did take place, however, and then turned the tables on the reporters, asking questions, suggesting some were hyperventilating over the subject. What he didn't know was, at a sh in a short distance away, his UFO issue was taking off in an interview with Gover Governor Bill Richardson, who, during an appearing appearance on. MSNBC with Chris Matthews demanded uh, <laughs> faster declassification of documents pertaining to Roswell and other UFO sightings and stopped short of saying that the government is doing a cover-up. So there you go. I think, uh, a lot of aliens I think Bill oh, Richardson's upset because, you know, he's from New Mexico and here's Kucinich stepping in on his territory here. What he, doesn't toes. what he doesn't realize, though, is that Kucinich actually came on a spaceship from somewhere. That's why he's so small and, and fragile looking. <laughs> I mean, really. This, this. I fully believe that everybody that's had a UFO experience should disclose that. I really think that you should talk about it. But is, you know, while you're on the campaign trail for president, is that the time you want to start talking about it? You know what I mean? Jimmy Carter at least waited, didn't he? Didn't he wait till he was in the White House before he started talking about it? No. He talked about it on the campaign trail? That was one of his campaign promises. Oh, was okay. I wasn't alive. Was, so I don't know. You're old. So. Was well, I am old <laughs> I enough. Yeah, I actually do remember. <laughs> yes. with you. He did say he would try and make it public. He was one of the first and only presidential candidates that led, that later became president that actually did try. And of course, he was told, you know, <laughs> no. Well, I was going to say. I mean, obviously, you know, Kucinich doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of becoming president. But I would have thought that, you know. You'd want to keep that stuff to yourself so that you could get elected president, and then once you're in there, then you can do... Because I'm pretty sure Bill Clinton, like when he got elected, walked into whatever room of meeting of the mind and said, Guys, I want to know everything. Tell me everything. <laughs> well, every president is briefed on what, what our government knows. Now, it's common knowledge, people, that everybody in the government knows that this stuff does happen. Okay, you know. Do they want to share this information? Do, do the public... Well, I personally think the public can handle a limited amount of the information being released. All of it, no. And it's a good reason why a lot of it is kept secret. But on the, on the whole, yeah, every president is briefed on, on what we have recovered. Bill said, tell me about these space aliens and what they can do to get a spot out of a dress. <laughs> All right, Bat, what do you already have for us? Uh, something from the Associated Press. Um, physician and scientist Wilhelm Reich, best known for his claims of a cosmic life force associated with sexual orgasm, who also died in federal prison and had the government 
burned tons of his books and other publications and destroyed his equipment. But half a century later, a small number of scientists and other believers are working to advance the European-born psychiatrist's work on what he called orgone energy, a theory largely forgotten in the scientific mainstream. Reich died on November 3, 1957, in federal prison in Lewisburg, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, where he was sent for ignoring an injunction obtained by the Food and Drug Administration that outlawed the device he called an orgone energy accumulator. Reich believed that it could charge the body with essential life energy, heightening vitality and potentially helping to heal disease. Critics point to some of these more unconventional ideas in deriding him and as a quack, but supporters say that he was a brilliant man whose ideas warrant further exploration. The 50th anniversary of his death is being marked as a major as a major exhibit on Reich and his work that opens up on November 15th at the Jewish Museum in Vienna, uh, the city where he attended medical school and began his psychiatric practice and studied under Sigmund Freud. Also this month, archives of Reich's unpublished papers, which have been stored at Harvard Medical School, will become available to researchers for the first time. Reich had stipulated that the papers only be opened 50 years after his death. Reich is described by American uh, Psychoanalytic Association as one of the most brilliant, creative, and controversial of the pioneering analysts. He was the first to focus on character analysis rather than on neurotic symptoms. He linked health and sex life with what he called orgastic potency, which is Okay, I'll leave it at that. And uh, to emotional wellness, believing that failure to discharge sexual energy resulted in neurotic disorders, which I personally think he, he was on the right track. They're just now. Is that, that's what you use when you go to bars? No. <laughs> Have you heard of Oregon Energy? <laughs> okay, his more controversial work came after he veered away from uh, psychotherapy into laboratory experiments in Norway that led to uh, discovery of what he called bions, basic life forms that give off orgone energy. After moving to the U.S., just before the start of World War II, he focused on isolating and collecting that energy and went on to test its effects on cancer. His orgone accumulators eventually caught the attention of the FDA after an investigation, the agency branded the devices consisting of alternating metallic and non-metallic materials as fraud. In 1954, it sought an injunction in U.S. District Court in Portland. Reich refused to appear in court, triggering a default judgment and the order that his books and his accumulators be destroyed. He was sentenced to two years in prison for contempt of court. He served only eight months before he died of a heart attack. That actually would be a good pickup line. How would you like to help me with an experiment? Well, I've always, you know, my viewpoint on the psychology and psychiatry is psychobabble bull malarkey, but I've always said, you know, um, basically Nietzsche was a nitwit, Freud was a fraud, Jung was useless, and Reich was right. <laughs> well, that doesn't work as a pickup line. You can't use that. Especially at one of those smarty pants bars, <laughs> where they'll actually know what you're talking about. The um, no, uh, 
it's yeah, it's definitely something that has been kind of brushed aside by science, but you know, they, they don't call it the Big Bang Theory for nothing. If you get what I'm saying. There you go. All right. Well, that does it for the week and weird. If uh, you have a story you'd like to submit for the week and weird, it's really easy. Just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the message board, go to the Week and Weird thread, drop the story in there, or post a link to it there, and uh, if we check it out, if we use it on the show, we'll send you a Spooky South Coast bumper sticker. So, uh, And we've actually gotten a lot of requests for our free bumper sticker offer from last week. Do you want to extend it one more week? Sure, we can do one more week. One more week. If you would like a free Spooky South Coast bumper sticker, just uh, email us SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, send us your address and uh, did do we ever decide if we're going to make them send us the envelope and the stamp? Uh, I think uh, it was a conflict with the. Uh, uh, I'll envelopes. cover the postage. Well, I'm pretty sure because we'll get people sending us envelopes that are too small because they don't know how big the bumper sticker is. So just send us your name and your address in an email to Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com and we will mail you out a free Spooky South Coast bumper sticker. All right. So why don't we take a break, and then when we come back on the other side, uh, we will talk to Jason Mayo. Uh, Tales of Rocky Point Park is the comic, and we'll talk to him about Rocky Point and a whole lot more. Stay tuned here on Spooky South Coast. Come with your family. Come with your friends. That's the Rocky Point tradition. Come Ah, yes, Rocky Point Park. Those are the good old days. They definitely were. They, there's no videos uh, on YouTube of people, like, gorging themselves on clam cakes and chowder, is there? <laughs> no, there isn't. Because that's what I'll always remember. The, ri- the rides were great. The rides were fun. But I, I always went for the clam cakes and the chowder. And we will talk about all that more with our guest, Jason Mayo, who has uh, put out the comic book Tales of Rocky Point Park. And it is, uh, it's basically, you know, it, it's a comic story uh, we, telling the... The story of the House of Horrors, uh, the uh, haunted house ride there, and then we'll talk to him about that. But it's it's definitely, and Jason, it comes through. It's definitely a a piece that's uh, you know very respectful of the history of it, and it's it's like a love letter to it almost, you know, in its, in its own twisted way. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Oh no, we're happy to have you, Jason Mayo, the uh, the artist, the writer, the creator. Uh, did you do all the inking and everything else yourself too? Is it? Is it just, I did. Yeah, it just says your name. So yeah, the drawing and the writing—it's all me. So. And uh, what made you decide to uh, to spin this into uh, into a, a horror tale here in comic book form? Um, well, that's the thing. You know, I, I Rocky Point. Growing up in Rhode Island, it was sort of uh, definitely uh, a tradition for me to go there every summer, you know, with my family, and it closed in 1995, and I hadn't thought about it for for 10 or so years, and then once I sort of stumbled upon pictures online of it, 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 it struck me as this sort of, uh, it was definitely a surreal setting, and it, it seemed definitely good for a uh, horror story, if you will. It was, it, it, all the buildings had been left there, and it sort of decayed over the years, and it was just kind of uh, it was very strange to see, or you know, your sort of childhood memories turned into this sort of uh, weird, horrific setting. 
and, and you know, we're just a stone's throw here from Lincoln Park. And that's what I can remember the most about, you know, going by that place in its later years is it's it's a place that's such happy memories of your childhood and then when you see it, you know, and it's 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 dead. That's the only way I can really describe it. It's like it died. I know, I know. I mean, that that's the strange thing about Rocky Point too is it uh, you know, the auction happened in 1995 and most of the rides were sold off, but the the land had remained there sort of uh it, it was. It, it fell through through numerous uh, condo deals, and it sort of just sat there for ten years. And it, and it, you know, like you just said, it was decayed. It was dead. It was definitely a different sort of scenery from from what I remembered. You know, and and I, you address it actually in the comic. You talk about the. Um you know what happened from the time it shut down through the auction and the the process of you know what eventually happened until the fire last year but uh who do you turn to when news all breaks right, when you need but uh what do you what do you think is the reason why it took so long you know being a little bit more knowledgeable about it than we are is there a reason why it took so long for something you know it, it took a fire to essentially move those buildings was there some sort of concern about what was on the property was there some sort of curse over it well i don't know that that's the weird thing about it is you know i i guess anything that's sort of been away for a while and, and we haven't thought of uh, a bunch of rumors sort of start up about it and uh it was actually a website opacity dot dot org or dot us that um this guy from new york actually went down to rocky point and took pictures of the abandoned rocky point and um, the pictures actually, there was a bulletin board underneath each, each picture, and a lot of people sort of, they definitely wanted to know more about it, and they started speculating that was this place cursed. And um, I started to research it, and it turned out that a lot of the former park employees did think it was cursed. Well, did they give any specifics uh, as to what they thought? There was a couple of different rumors where supposedly the park was actually built um, over an Indian burial ground back in uh, the 1800s because actually Rocky Point had been around for 150 years. So that was one of the theories. But then there was another one where there was a gypsy uh, family that used to do fortunes on the Midway. And sometime in the 90s, um, they were fired or removed from the park for reasons unknown. And they put a curse on the park ever since and since then you know the park closed and it's and it's been vacant since you know because it seems to me like that's really prime real estate and it there no matter what was going on it shouldn't have sat for the amount of time that it did with nothing going on there you know what i mean somebody would have had the the millions of dollars necessary to come in purchase the land and and you know get rid of all those structures well you're right you're right it, it, that, and that's the kind of weird thing that it, that it sat for 10 years and nothing, it almost seemed forgotten about, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do the comic. But, you know, thinking on that comment, uh, doing some research about when it first closed, I, I had read that Hasbro in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, had actually wanted to take it over and uh, sort of create a toy amusement park. And then there was another rumor that Michael Jackson flew in and, and wanted to take it over. So, Oh, wow. That would have been kind of strange. That would have been, and you know, a it, horror story of its own. Yeah, <laughs> it could have been a whole different storyline for the comic. But, 
I, mean, I don't really know where to go with that. I mean, just the idea of Michael Jackson uh, uh, owning it. I mean, it's too scary for uh, even comics. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, definitely, I mean, I can imagine what he would have done with the House of Horrors. You know, turned into his own personal thriller museum. But was was that always the the draw for you when you went to the park? Was it always the House of Horrors? Because I know when I go to a park, that's the thing that I'm the most interested in is whatever you know haunted attraction they have. Well, definitely, definitely. I mean, there there are tons of great rides at Rocky Point. It was just something about the House of Horrors ride. It was, uh, you know, and and I describe in the comic like it just had a certain aura and a, and a certain scent about it of uh, musty death, musty death, and uh, motor oil. There was something really. Uh, it was somewhat. It, it was cheesy and horrific at the same time. I, I just, I always loved going through it. The uh, my, and of course you you talk about the Viking character, which is, you know, for anybody that remembers. And and I'm not sure exactly the history of when the the Viking went away, but I seem to remember it. Maybe it's just from photos, but I seem to remember the Viking when it was on its outside perch. Well, that that's the strange thing is, um, I guess when the house was first built in the 60s, it was inside, and then certain uh, people vandalized it, and for some reason they moved it to the exterior of the uh, the House of Horrors on the second level when you would pass um, through the outside of the house, but the weird thing was, was I, I was sort of looking at pictures, and I was researching, and it was sort of like I stumbled upon pictures of the Viking statue in the 70s. And um, he was there, and then he wasn't there. So I sort of uh, started brainstorming, and it, and it reminded me of, uh, I don't know if you, you're familiar with the Creep Show 2, the uh, wooden Indian oh, sure. tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is like the same type of, yeah, I, I definitely see that. Yeah. And my I, and I have to say my, my favorite line, not to give away too much of the comic here, because I want people to go out and pick this up, but um, when you have kind of like the flash forward uh, to the Rocky Point condos, my absolute favorite line is when he when he makes his appearance and they're in the dark and somebody says it smells like rotten clam cakes. <laughs> because I well, can just awesome. imagine, you know, that that definitely would follow him around. <laughs> now, obviously, uh, with the art and the artwork in, in the the comic is terrific. I mean, for anybody who remembers Rocky Point, all you have to do is take a look at it and and it just brings it all back to you. But uh, did you rely on photos? Did you rely on your memory, or did you actually try and get in there and, and sketch it out before everything was gone? Well, you know, um, I did do a lot of research online, and, and there were a lot of great websites that I actually mentioned in the comic that I I did uh, do some research from. But I I actually was a part of the documentary film. I had helped them out. Um, the you meet you must be this tall the story of Rocky Point Park. So. Um, we were lucky enough to get in there before they demolished everything, and I was able to uh, take a lot of pictures of sort of the remaining structures and get inside of a lot of the buildings that were off-limits to people, and including it, the uh, Palladium and the Shoreline Dinner Hall, which were normally locked up. It's it, when, when I look at this comic, I look at it, and it, you remember it the way that I remembered it, you know, especially the entrance with... Uh, the Rocky Point sign and, and the trees, just the first page of the comic, it's like, you know, there was always this ominous feeling about the park whenever we went there. I mean, I I, I can honestly say, as, as much fun as I had there, I never felt 
I never had as much fun as I did at other places, and it wasn't the fault of the rides or the of the atmosphere. It just there was something about it that was always lurking in the background. Well, yeah, you know, it, it's weird. It's like when I remember being a kid, and you know, your parents would drive you there, and I I couldn't tell you how to get there when I was a kid. You know, it seemed like it was <laughs> in the woods. Yep. It was like locked away. You drove down somebody's it. back driveway, and exactly, exactly, and. When um, when you did have the chance to go out there and, ch- and check it out, I mean, was there um, was there already kind of reports surfacing about any paranormal activity there? Because we got a lot of it when we first started doing the show, and and we talked about you know places for people to go and investigate. Everybody said, "Oh, go check out Rocky Point." There's so much stuff going on there. I mean, have you from the people who you know would let you into the building, or has there been a lot of reports of stuff since it shut down? Well, I can tell you. Um just being on the grounds there there was definitely a sort of uh there was a weird there was a weird feeling you know it, it, i mean there's no denying that this place with 150 years of history had you know a tremendous amount of energy left over um but there were several reports including um reports in the palladium but um in my research, and I'm actually planning to do a couple of different new issues, um, I found out that there were several incidents where there's one um, particular tragedy at the Skyliner ride where a worker was killed on top of the Skyliner ride. He was fixing it, and I don't know if you remember this ride, but it's essentially a ski lift mm-hmm. that went up to the rocks in the woods. Um, he was repairing it, and... Apparently, he was in a sort of, uh, on the part where it spins around to take you back home, and uh, someone turned the ride on on him, and he was completely cut in half. Yeah, so, I mean, I had always felt that there was something strange going on with that ride, and then seeing that article in the the Providence Journal archives was definitely strange. Well, I'd like to tell you that I uh, experienced something ominous when I rode that ride, but I just refused to get on it. I just <laughs> not a big heights fan. <laughs> yeah, I'll go in any I'll go in any haunted house, but the the heights rides those were uh, always got me. Although I'm, I do like roller coasters, and I will always be thankful for Rocky Point for being the first roller coaster I could get on uh, that I wasn't too afraid to. But so, um, wasn't there a fire at the Palladium years before? Wasn't there uh, the original Palladium? Back um, before there was a, an amusement park per se, and it was just like a recreational area. Wasn't there like a fire there? Well, that's that's the weird thing is is um, there's one particular book that I read that that states there were numerous fires there over the 150 year history, and it was sort of at different places in the park. One at the Palladium, um, one at, it was called the Big House, and. Uh, this sort of happened in the park's history up until, you know, just last year when there were several fires. And that was another weird aspect. And I, I sort of try to mention in the comic book that, you know, the park had, had been destroyed by hurricanes, by fires, by floods. The 1938 hurricane sort of wiped it out. But there's a lot of weird stuff that happened, and it, and it always seemed that the owners were able to rebound from from whatever destruction had happened to the park. Well, without pointing any fingers, uh, it seems like whenever these 
supposed locations, you know, they go up for sale, they're going to be turned into condos or whatever. There's always that mysterious fire that helps move things along. Well, that's true, you know, uh, and I, I don't, I don't want to point any fingers either, but uh, in doing this comic, you know, I did extensive research, and uh, I had called the Historical Society, and I, I sort of was trying to see what, what was left at the park that could be considered historical and not be knocked down. And uh, they said, sure enough, uh, one of the, the, the buildings was called the Big House, and it, it was the house that contained all the records, the former's business records. And uh, that was the only building on the park that was remained historical that they couldn't touch or knock down. And sure enough, that was the uh, last building to fall victim to arson. Huh. Coincidence? Well, we'll have to say so, just so we don't get sued. <laughs> <laughs> so now you said that you had some some plans for future issues. Are they gonna? Is it gonna be similar? Is it gonna revolve around this ride, or maybe other rides? Or well, I definitely would like to do um, sort of uh, different rides, maybe some different stories. And and that's the thing. There's there's so many urban legends about Rocky Point that I've heard just from putting this first issue out. That I definitely would like to do other rides and. And sort of focus on the rumors and urban legends and kind of keep a, a sort of horror element, maybe with a Twilight Zone twist to the stories. I mean, I can just imagine what you could do with an active park, you know, in, in the storyline. Uh, a park that's actually up and running and some of the, the twisted stuff that could go on there, especially if Michael Jackson owned it. That's true, yeah. Now, and, and what other art, well, where else would we, we have seen your artwork? I mean, I know where I've seen it, but why don't you tell everybody where, where else I could see some of your work? Well, yeah, I've I've uh, I've been a regular contributor to the Taps Para magazine over the years. That's been around. So, um, anyone that's familiar with it might have seen some of my. I, I've done some uh, Taps comics. Uh, one particular fan favorite is where Taps returns to uh, Waverly Hills after. Um, I don't know if you remember that show, Celebrity Paranormal. Yep. Was there and they they uh, capture an image on their camera in the uh, comic, and uh, they find out that it was Gary Busey who was <laughs> left over. And it was a good, really dead-on Gary Busey in the comic, too. Was, well, thanks. thanks. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> so and is, is there any thought of turning that um, in, into an actual comic? Is there an idea of doing a Taps comic? I would love to do a Taps comic, you know, and, I, and I've, done, uh, I've done a lot of rough sketches on my own and sort of tried to uh, brainstorm of, of what I could have them doing. I would love to put one out, you know. Because uh, I was thinking as I read this and, and having seen your work in the in the Para magazine, I was like, boy, you know, you could actually take Ghost Hunters to kind of a different level of, you know, beyond the reality show aspect of it into like an adventure type story. I know, I know. And, and, and the ironic thing is, is Rocky Point was in Warwick, Taps headquarters is in Warwick. Oh, yeah, they definitely have to make an appearance at least in a future issue of Tales of Rocky Point Park. I think Taps should investigate uh Rocky uh, Point. That's a good idea. <laughs> Brainstorming on the air here. Giving away all his ideas so that everybody will beat him to it. Nah, you got the market cornered here. Where uh, where can people pick up the comic? Um, well, I, I'm still working on getting it in the uh, South Coast area, but if you're traveling through Rhode Island, you can get it at any of the local comic shops, um, Newbury Comics. Actually, Benny's carries it. But if not, you can check it out, and the the website is www.talesofrockypointpark.com, or you can check out the MySpace, just Tales of Rocky Point. 
Park on MySpace. And uh, we have a, a couple copies here that you sent us that we'd like to give away, too. If, uh, if anybody would like to call in and share their stories about Rocky Point Park, maybe you had kind of a, a creepy experience there or something that uh, didn't quite sit right with you, uh, give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, and uh, we'll take your stories, and if we like your story, we'll give you a comic. So how's that sound? Awesome. All right. I, I don't... I don't want uh, I don't want to give away too much of the uh, comic as I said I, I want people to go out and and read it for themselves. But was there any concern when you were putting it together that you're taking something that was you know sacred to a lot of people's childhood and, and you can read actually in the back of the comic a lot of uh, people who are well known to the Spooky South Coast audience commenting on on what they remember from the ride in the park. But was there any concern with taking something that was a, a treasured memory for somebody and kind of putting the spin on it? Did you think you might get some backlash for that? Well, you know, ultimately, like, I, I, I just, I, I wanted to sort of recreate the park and recreate the ride and, and almost pay tribute to it. And, uh, you know, and you had mentioned before that the, the condos are built at the end, and I just hope that everyone that ever had a memory or a precious memory about Rocky Point would, would appreciate the, uh, the sort of vengeance that the Viking takes upon the condo owners. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Uh, have you ever been uh, in, in the past? Did you ever go to Paragon Park? No, no, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, I was out in Nantasket Beach, and uh, I think I, I might have told the story on the, on the show before, but I'll, I'll share it with everybody. Um, I actually lived there for a time when I was young, and it was uh, a place that my family always went back to, um, you know, on sunny Sundays in the summertime and stuff. And it used to be when you came down the road and you were heading toward where the park is. As you, you know, you'd see rising up out of the distance, you would see the great big wooden roller coaster. It'd be the first thing you saw as you were coming down the road and it was rising up in the distance. And when they sold off that land and they tore it down, they turned it into like luxury condos because it was right on the ocean side there. And it became, when you were driving down the road, you would see that condo building rising up out of the distance. And it's like, you know, it's like somebody taking a, a memory of your grandmother and stomping all over it. You know, it's taking a, a treasured childhood moment and, and turning it into, you know, progress. I know, I know. And, and, and that was the thing for me. It was like this land that had been there for 150 years, you know, it's still vacant. And the condos aren't built, but the fact that they're going to have this privatized upscale homes is, it just seemed, it just seemed like it should remain a, a public place, you know. And, and where we used to go to get to Rocky Point, those those winding back roads and everything, at some point there's going to be a gate, and you won't be able to get down there at all. That's what I've heard, too. I mean, that's that's to not be able to go and, and just say, hey, this is the spot where it once was, uh, that'll be a shame. One, one question I did have for you, and um, you you can choose not to answer it if, if you want to, but uh, at the very end of the actual comic, before you get into the people's remembrances, there is the... The paperwork found in the rubble and the, and the debris, mm-hmm. that's kind of an artist rendering, would you say? Well, I'd have to say yes. Uh, <laughs> it is an artist rendering, but uh, it, it's based on actual urban legend. So. I was going to say, that's a story that I'd often heard, that, that that was the case. And Is that an actual something that you could find in your research, that that actually did happen? Uh, you'd have to dig deep to find this one. It, it wasn't in any of the journals, because I, I think they actually did try to cover up... Uh, an incident that happened at the House of Horrors. And uh, was there a Raymond uh, Santanelli? Was uh, that... I, 
I believe the names were changed just okay. to protect the, uh, the owners. Because I'm just wondering if there's like a guy named Raymond Santanelli that's like a friend of yours and was like, what? <laughs> Don't blame me. But I, no, I mean, I'd heard that story. That story must go back a long time because I think I actually remember hearing it when the park was open. That somebody got maimed on the House of Horrors ride. I, I don't think it was, you know, the way it was portrayed in, in the comic necessarily, but I just remember hearing stories that somebody got maimed, and, and I, I want to say it was my parents, and their, you know, one of their uh, lesser moments of parenting where they said, "Hey, let's scare the crap out of the kids and tell them somebody died on that ride." Because <laughs> you know, I'd want to go in there, and the line was long, and they didn't want to wait, so they'd be like, "You don't want to go in there. Somebody died in there." Well, that makes me want to go in there more. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, it, it did. You did address the, the the rumors as to who it was that bought the the House of Horrors in the auction. Well, that's true, and, and that was the another weird thing that I found out about it. It was for some reason whoever bought the House of Horrors, and and it's recorded fact that they paid only a thousand dollars to fifteen hundred dollars for the actual complete ride. Um, but everything was left inside the House of Horrors the cars and the uh, props, and, and the props were sort of stolen over the years, but the cars were there until the remaining uh, structure was demolished just over this summer. And wasn't the story, let me check it, but wasn't the story that the only thing they took was the Darth Vader car? The Darth Vader car, yeah. That, I, I think there were eight cars in total, and uh, they all featured the famous monsters on them. My theory and, and, and I. I went through the whole uh, house, and the only car that was missing was that Darth Vader car, My for whatever reason. Maybe it was uh, Wheezy. I know he's got a... Uh, that, that's exactly just, what I was thinking, too. That's that, exactly yeah. where I was going. It sounds like Brian Hanwha was probably the one. <laughs> Anybody check his basement for that one? Uh, I don't know. You talked about that being the less popular car. That's the one that I always wanted. Well, that's true. I mean, I guess with the famous monsters, it was sort of a... Uh, the Darth Vader was a last-minute addition to the, uh, well, let's see what villain can we... Uh, can we throw on there? It was, it was probably, you know, 1977, 1978, and they said, hey, we, let, let's change. It was probably somebody else before. It's probably like a mummy. And they're like, hey, let's just paint over that and put Darth Vader on there and capitalize on this Star Wars craze. Yeah. So, and, you know, you know, one of my strangest memories of, of Rocky Point is uh, I remember taking the Pepsi Challenge at Rocky Point. I remember actually doing the, the, the Coke Pepsi taste test. And, oh really? Yeah, they were out there one summer, and and uh, I actually took the test. I think I was probably about nine or ten years old, and the guy got really mad at me because every time I would beat the the Pepsi challenge, <laughs> I'm like, no, that's Coke, no, that one's Pepsi, no, no, that one's Coke, because I, you know, I I've always been able to tell the difference. One tastes flat to me, and, and he was really mad that I could beat the Pepsi challenge. So I don't know, maybe uh maybe he was gonna maim me in the House of Horrors afterwards. That could be issue two right there. I, I'm uh, <laughs> the Pepsi. Chip. I'm brainstorming as we speak. Like Pepsi would definitely uh, appreciate the the pub, I'm sure. But uh, and now you were talking about the film. Uh, you must be this tall. Is, is that been released yet, or is that still in production? Well, you know, it's been released here in Rhode Island, and it's uh, it's I, done pretty well. I know it's, it's been shown, but I mean, is it is it available? Can people? It's going to be available on DVD. I think starting December. And uh, anyone that's interested in checking it out, uh, uh, you can check out the website www.rockypointmovie.com, and they've they actually taken pre-orders for the DVD, and you can actually check the comic out there too. Well, definitely, uh, we'll have to do a whole episode uh, 
just on the movie because it to, to me i mean it's an important part of you know everybody that grew up around here and it's an important you know historical landmark uh, not just for our own childhoods but just for what it meant to you know the city of warwick for all those years and it, it, unfortunately it's just another one of those we talk about it all the time here the places that are you know moved aside for progress and places that could be fertile ground for paranormal investigations uh, that end up, you know, under lock and key and nobody's allowed in and, you know, disaster ends up happening anyway. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think the story of Rocky Point is sort of, I think it's still going to go on for a couple of more years. I mean, there's just a, a like I said earlier, the, the 150 year history is just, even if there's condos built, I think there's always going to be, and, and, and I forgot to mention the town of Warwick is, is trying to maintain a part of the shoreline for public use, you know, so hopefully we'll always get a chance to glimpse the, uh, the land and... And say, that's where the corkscrew was, that's where the carousel was. This is where the kid got scalped on the House of Horrors. Yep, exactly, and there's where <laughs> there's where the, the most horrific thing happened, where I gorged myself on clam cakes and clam chowder and... That was the problem, man. You couldn't eat too much of that because it was red clam chowder. It was that Manhattan style. And, yeah, you don't want to see that coming back up, let me tell you. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, well, Jason, we'd like to thank you uh, for joining us and talking about Tales of Rocky Point Park. And uh, like you said, everybody can check it out. Uh, you can get it in Rhode Island or you can, uh, you know, check out the website, talesofrockypointpark.com. And uh, we do have two copies here to give away, so if anybody wants to call in and win those, you can do that right after we go off the air. Uh, but uh, definitely keep us uh, up to date with any future issues and any future projects you have going on. And if there's uh, if there's ever a, a Taps comic, you know, we, we want to see them in some really crazy, silly situations. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. And we'll talk to you real soon. All right. Keep up the good work. Take care. Yeah. That is Jason Mayo, the creator of tales of rocky point park and you know it was just it's nice to to be able to see something that we enjoyed in our childhood actually mean so much to some people you know because i know it meant so much to me and to see somebody else has that same love and passion for it uh, i think it's actually um both both chris balzano and jeff belanger have had uh articles up on their websites about some of the activities surrounding um amusement parks in the past, and uh, Aaron Cadju actually did a, an early film on, uh, I believe it was Whalen Park. So, it's, for some reason, amusement parks, especially abandoned amusement parks, always come back to what we're doing here in the, in the paranormal community, and it all ties in together. So, well, it's because they're emotionally charged. You got to figure a lot of emotions put into the park, you know, invested by people visiting, and and all those. You know, they talk about the tragedies that happen in some of these, but all the happy memories, too, will leave an imprint. That's what I'm talking about. And they're, you know, close to water. Mm. There's a lot of uh, iron involved in the uh, construction of the ride. I mean, it's... A lot of electricity flowing through yeah. all of the stuff. There yeah, could be a lot of different... Well-charged. But, uh, man, I just I can't get over the idea of Michael Jackson buying a Rocky Point. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that definitely, that could be a whole other episode. So uh, what are we talking about next week? Does anybody know? It's a surprise. It is. It will be a surprise, and we are not sure that we will be back here, but uh, if you want to make sure that we're on, you can always just check the blog at SpookySouthCoast.com or join up our MySpace, MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast. 
But uh, we'll always be here for you. If you'd like to get in touch with us, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com, where you can send us a message on MySpace. So we will take care of you however we can. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again, tomorrow. Tomorrow.